Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. seated tonight, I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms 4. I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the Word of God. I know we stand in reference to it, but we don't stand every time we read it. Amen. Sometimes you may be reading the Bible while you're riding down the road in the car with with someone else driving, hopefully. Hopefully. You can't stand then necessarily, but... uh, This evening, I want to take my text from the book of Psalms 4. It's only eight verses, but within these eight verses are revealed to us some just timeless truths. I pray that the Spirit of God will help all of us, beginning with me, to just weave these truths into the fabric of my life. I don't want to just hear this. I don't want to just grasp it a little bit with my intellect. But I want the Spirit of God to speak something to my spirit. Amen. The book of Psalms 4 and 1. Now, we understand, at least from this particular point in time, that David is coming out of a season of great distress. The third Psalm and, and those preceding it. The prayer of David after the ordeal with his son Absalom. And so there was a lot of distress in David's life. And I want to tell you, if you think your family is dysfunctional and you just feel like trying to find the cliff and jumping off the edge of the earth, just read about David a little bit. It might kind of snap things back into perspective. David's life was quite, quite tumultuous from time to time. But here's David's prayer, Psalms, or David's writings. It is really a prayer in, in, in sorts. Psalms 4 and 1, Hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. I believe that there are some things that God just kind of sets aside for his own. There are some things that the Lord just kind of says that this is mine and I'm going to put that over here. And I think it would be safe to say tonight that I am speaking to an audience of people that would really desire for that something to be you. It would certainly be my desire for God to see something in me that he would say, I'm going to set that aside. And uh, David has been in distress But now the complexion of things have changed. The clouds of despair are somewhat receding from his life. And it seems to me that at least in this particular passage that things are on the mend on an uphill turn. And so he begins to thank the Lord for the deliverance and he thanks the Lord for enlargement. You know, the prayer of Jabez and a part of the prayer of Jabez is that the Lord would increase or enlarge his border, or his coast. And so he was. what Asaph was praying for was better things. And so when David says this, that you have, uh, when he thanked the Lord for deliverance and enlargement, amen, when, when we hear the Lord talk about, he said, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. In other words, you bless me. Even in a season of stress, you were right there with me, and you kept your hand. And you touch me, even though the storms seemed like they were prevailing at times. God, you have blessed me. I wonder how many of us tonight could just say, Lord, I have that same testimony. Amen. No, no, we're not boasting tonight. We're just talking about the goodness of the Lord. That when I was in distress, I felt God just in, in, embrace me and begin to enlarge the border, so to speak. 
He takes no credit for that himself. He gives all of that credit to where it rightfully belongs, and that is the Lord. He said, you have, you have touched me even my hour of distress. In the next verse, he said, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory to shame? And how long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? The word leasing there is the same word for lying. So he says, how long will you turn my glory to shame? And how long will you love vanity? And how how long will you seek after lying? You know, there are some people that are just infatuated with the untruth. They, they, I heard one man say many years ago, I, I, I made a point to try to never forget this. He said, talking about one, some individual, I didn't know who he was talking about, but he said he'd rather climb a tree and tell a lie than rather than stand on the ground and tell the truth. <laughs> and uh, while I thought that was kind of cute through the years, I've met a few of those folks. So he said, how long will you seek after lying? How long are you going to be infatuated with the, with the untruth? David speaks of ungodly men who were doing nothing more than just trying to make a mockery, a mockery of that which was his greatest delight. And, and he said, how long are, are you going to continue to do this? David seems to make a point that, that we cannot soon forget and we should never forget. And what David was trying to say to all of his accusers was this, is you can't look at a man's current distress and judge their entire life. You can't look at someone's current circumstance and this make then an assessment on the whole matter. Amen. And so you can't build an argument off of something like that. You've got to take into account the bigger picture, a, a whole life. No one... No one would ever look at a failed crop and then call the farmer a failure after one failed crop. You would have to take into account uh, their past. You would have to take into account their big picture, where their circumstances that were surrounding this. And that that's seemingly what happened in the life of Job. I mean, Job is absolutely in love with God and in love with the Word of God, the way of God. It just seems that everything about Job's life was in absolute order. And then... Out of order came disorder. And utter and absolute chaos just surrounded his life. And just a matter of, a matter of time, just one announcement after another. And actually it's all more than we could truly comprehend. It's not a parable. It's a truth that the Spirit of God began to work in Job's life, even in the midst of all of his loss. But it just seemed like those that had, you know, they've been labeled Job's comforters that came to him were trying to assess his life. Did you sin? Did you do something wrong? Maybe we can help you figure out what's wrong. And they were just simply judging him by the situation at hand. They failed to look in the rearview mirror and see Job's past. And because of their human limitations, they certainly could not see Job's future. But if they could have looked at the whole matter, they would have understood that this is just a slice of Job's life. This is a moment in time. It wasn't like this yesterday. It is like this today. But we know now that it was not going to be like that tomorrow. It was just a snippet, a snapshot of time. So they were just judging him by that. Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, judge nothing before it's time. Judge nothing before it's time. You know, we have been involved as a church and we have been involved in my wife and I and several of you here, I'm sure, in little remodel or upgrade projects around the house. And, and it just seems like, you know, you take a perfectly normal room, whether it's a bedroom, bathroom, living room, or den, and all you really wanted to do was just kind of add a little more flair, a little more flash update here and fix a few things there. And so you start hauling out the furniture of a room that looked normal and, and, uh, Within just a few hours, it just looks like chaos. And within just a few days, you're scratching your head thinking, what in the world was going on? I mean, we, everything was fine. <laughs> well, everything, you know, it just gets prettier and prettier and prettier as you look in the rearview mirror, right? And so, but Paul said, don't judge a thing before time. Don't judge a matter before time. Don't, don't judge it by what you see now because there is a work in progress. And sometimes it seems like our lives are quite normal. Seems like everything is in order. And then the Lord says, but I want to make some improvements. 
And in order to make some improvements, a lot of times there's a lot of upheaval that comes to our lives. Can the church say amen? Sure. And so Paul said, don't judge a matter before it's time because this is just a work in progress. You come back and after a while, there seems to be a tipping point in projects like that, that that after a while it just seems chaotic, 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 chaotic. But all of a sudden it seems right toward the end of the project, things start coming together and now color palettes are making more sense and, and this and that's kind of coming together and we're connecting the dots and the big picture is coming in to view. And so I would say what, what David was trying to ask was don't judge me now. Don't judge me based on this situation. It would seem at certain seasons even of the year uh, when we look around us that it would almost appear as though God has forsaken the earth. I... Uh, I enjoy our, our church setting. I enjoy um, during the summertime, spring and the summertime, uh, when we have a good uh, a good rainy summer and the, the grass is all green and everything's alive. It just seems it's so pleasant. I just love uh, I love to drive by and see after the yard has just been freshly cut and all the shrubs have been trimmed. It just looks so appealing and so pleasant. And then all of a sudden you get to February. Everything is just dead and burned and, and it just looks, looks, everything just seems so, so very lifeless. And so it would just seem like almost that God even has certain seasons of time for the earth where it flourishes and then other times where it seems dead. And this is not God up there just playing some cruel joke. The Lord has a purpose for everything under the sun. And so that means that we have to endure certain seasons. We may often wonder what in the world could the purpose be in all of this. But we endure certain seasons. You know, I I hope against hope every year uh, when we have uh, what would be for us a very hard winter. And I know compared to what's going on in Michigan or Illinois or someplace like that, they, they would probably laugh at this statement. But when we have an excessively uh, cold winter, I'm, I'm always listening for those people who say, but you know, the good part is that we won't have as many flies this summer. I've never seen that quite pan out. Or if it did pan out, I would sure hate to know how many flies I was going to have to contend with had we had a mild summer. But nevertheless, we know that there is something that's going on and God is doing something. And so we have to endure, not necessarily joy but we have to endure some seasons of our life and we may never really understand the purpose but but I've got to put my hope and my hand in the hand of Solomon and I've got to lean upon his writings from Ecclesiastes then he says to everything there is a season to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven and so I understand one thing that this that I am in is just a season it's coming to pass. It's something I'm going to march through. Amen. And so no matter how hot and no matter how uncomfortable the summer, the July, the August day, I know one thing is for sure, that fall is coming. And there will soon be a, a brisk breeze in the air. Just a season of time. And so to those who do not like the cold, no matter how bitter cold it may be, it's just a season of time. Because before you know it, the summertime will be here again. In the the third verse, Psalms 4 and 3, David says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. He has set apart... Know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. He reminded his distractors of this one thing. There are two great facts that you need to consider in all of your accusations. And that is this. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the second thing is that the Lord will hear my cry when I call upon his name. Amen. So you go ahead and mock. You go ahead and point your finger. You go ahead and say whatever you want to say. But there's two things that you need to always remember. God will set apart godly things for himself. And that he will hear us when we call upon his name. When God sets someone aside for himself, they must recognize the fact of Second Timothy 2 and 19. The Bible says, The foundation of God standeth sure, 
having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Amen. I'm glad tonight that in everything that's going on in this world, that when I kneel down and pray, I don't have to get on the rooftop and scream, but I can kneel in our living room or in our den. I can kneel in the chair in my office and begin to whisper His name. And I have heaven's attention. Hallelujah. The Lord will hear me when I call upon His name. I can call upon His name sweetly and softly and ever so gently and lovingly in prayer. Or I can call upon His name in absolute despair and distress. But when I call, He's going to hear my call. Hallelujah. When God separates something for Himself, they, they have to rec- we have to recognize that. That God knows them that are His. He knows our name. I'm, I'm, I am just constantly amazed by the sheer uh, giftedness of mothers. There, that inept, that intuition that, that's built in that God placed there. There can be there can be a dozen screaming children and laughing children, but they can hear their child above all of the roar of the others because they know them that are theirs. Circumstances of life may be certainly disappointing, and they are, but God always answers our prayer, and I'm thankful for that. I read this quote once that says this, They who are born twice have a life which cannot be comprehended by they that are only born once. They that are born twice live a life that cannot be comprehended by they that have only been born one time. I mean, if you've never been born again, you're not going to be able to look at the eyes and the life of people and, and make much sense out of the joy that's in their eyes, even though they're going through all sorts of circumstances you know, when I think about just the, just any given service here of the raised hands and those, those, those that are clapping and praising and worshiping and magnifying the Lord, it's not a sign that all is well. Not a sign that everything's going my way. It's not a sign that I got everything I wanted this week. No, no. It's just a sign that says, you know what? I've been born again and I am not of this world. Spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. And so you've got to have the Spirit of God. We've got to have the anointing of God in our lives. I, I want to just pause and interject this right here. I, this is not my message, but, but because we, spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. I was teaching not long ago about, about the significance of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Not on you. We need the Holy Ghost in us. I don't just need the company of good Holy Ghost filled people. But I need the Spirit of God dwelling in me. And, and, and in talking about that, night, I was I was just kind of admonishing us when we were praying in the altars and working with people to never to never tell somebody they got an experience that they didn't get. Amen. Don't tell somebody they got the Holy Ghost. They they need to know they got the Holy Ghost. And here's why. The Holy Ghost is not just a one-time tongue-talking experience and a yippee-yay-yay moment. Amen. It is the infilling and the empowerment of God Himself. And let me let me say tonight, in order to fight the demons that are in this world, we're going to need the Spirit of God. We're going to need the power of God. The anointing of God. I'm going to tell you that our flash, our finesse, our education, our skill, none of that will weigh against the powers of the darkness of this world. The only way you're going to win that battle is to have the infilling and the power, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Because spiritually things, spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. They must be spiritually discerned. And so I want the power of the Holy Ghost. This is not about numbers. This is not about how many people can we count? How many people can we boast about? How many, how many can we do this? No, no, no. I would rather have people that really get the Holy Ghost. Because it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to just, uh, I think I've made my point. But it's dangerous. You need God. We need God because spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. And so they that are only, that are, that are born twice live a life that cannot be comprehended by they that have only been born once. Simon Peter said this. He said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar 
people. You're a called out people. You're a set aside people. Amen. What does David mean when he says, hath set apart him that is godly? I can assure you this text isn't referring to someone that has some kind of holier than thou spirit or attitude or they're way up here on this high pinnacle. Amen. When God talks about setting apart those that are godly, amen, godliness isn't, isn't a step that we take. Godliness isn't some move that we make. Godliness is not one decision that we make. Amen. Godliness, the journey to godliness is made with very intentional steps. Hallelujah. Nehemiah, amen, a God person, I believe, has got to be a God-fearing person. I think that's where you got to start. we got to fear God. Amen. I won't hammer this hard enough tonight. I promise you, if I preach till midnight, I won't hammer this hard enough. But we're living in a society that has lost their fear of God. Amen. They've lost their fear of God. And so we gotta get right back there. I gotta, I gotta be a God-fearing man. You've gotta be a God-fearing woman. Nehemiah said, so did I, so did not I because of the fear of God. Nehemiah said, I didn't do that because I feared God. Amen. There's some people that don't fear the Lord today. They've lost their fear of God. And I'm not just talking about sinners. There's some saints that don't fear God. Amen. I'd be afraid to partake in some things that people partake of today and claim the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're, we've been born again. We've been filled with the Spirit of God. I, I want my home to be blessed. I want my life to be blessed. I want my family to be blessed. I want my marriage to be blessed. Is anybody in the house? Amen. So I want the fear of God in my life. There's some things I don't, that, that have no business crossing the threshold of my front door. Some things have no business in my home. They have no business in my life and in my mind. And so I gotta be a God-fearing person. Not, not trembling in fear, but a God-reverencing person. I reverence the Lord too much to say that, or to think that, or to do that. Or, amen. I love the Lord. I fear Him too much. When the wife of Potiphar tempted Joseph, listen to his response. This is what, this is what Joseph said. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? How can I do this and sin against my master? You know what David said? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Amen. If Potiphar never finds out, I'm going to be sinning against God. Amen. If the servant never finds out, if nobody in this city ever finds out, Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so a godly person must fear God. That seems overtly obvious, I understand, but I've never been, I've never, never seen such a loss of respect for the very presence and the power of God that we see today. Amen. We see it everywhere. And so a godly person has got to be a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. A godly person, a, a, a godly life. Amen. Someone on that journey has got to be a person that trusts God. And you can't partially trust people. You either trust or you don't. Amen. You, you, if, you, if you trust with a little bit, you've got to trust with everything or it's not trust at all. Amen. Amen. I remember reading a story, the, 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 the details of it are a little bit fuzzy, but I remember reading a story of a little, of a school where they had a stock, a storeroom where they would check out supplies and kind of had one of those, what you call those half doors, a Dutch door, is that what you call that? And, uh, where they would have somebody there to kind of hand out supplies and, and, uh, so they were, somebody was overly concerned that somebody wasn't going to turn back in a, a dry eraser or somebody wasn't going to turn back in a, a, a pencil or something. And so they began to question that. And, and the man that was running the school said, look, we've entrusted these, these, these faculty here with our, the most precious thing we have, and that's our children. If we can't trust them with a dry eraser, and if we can't trust them with a box of pencils, we sure better not trust them with our kids. Amen. I'm going to leave my children here, but you better watch them. They'll steal erasers. Amen. So you, we're going to trust the Lord. We can't just trust Him with the things that we can reach if God doesn't come through. We can't just trust God with the things that we can fix if God doesn't do it our way. Amen. We can't just trust God for the little things 
Amen. We, we've got to trust Him for everything. You know, the, the Lord's Prayer seems to, to have some profound truths wrapped up within it because it says, give us this day our daily bread. Amen. I'm not suggesting that daily bread is an insignificant thing, but, but those small matters. I want you, Lord, help me today to just have my daily bread, have something that I may eat. But, but listen, he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it's not just the little matters that we need God to take care of, but I need God to take care of the big matters. Amen. I know some people are thinking that maybe food is a big matter, but it's not a big matter compared to the evil of this world. It's not an, it's not a big matter when we think about the evil, the spirits that would destroy. And so a godly person is also somebody that loves the Lord with all of their heart. Not just sometimes, not just when they're in a jam, not just when one of the children have fever, not just here and there, but a godly person is somebody that loves the Lord with all their heart and nothing nor no one could be more important than God. God is the main thing on my list. A godly man is someone who knows God. They know them. They know God. Philippians 3.10, the Bible says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the Lord. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And so you can't know someone that you're not in constant contact with. Now you may be acquainted with people. I'm acquainted with a lot of people. But I don't know a lot of people. I really know just a few people. The people I know the best are those that I'm talking to all the time. I'm constantly speaking with them, talking with them. Amen. A godly person is someone that not only wants to know the Lord, but a godly person is somebody that wants to be like God. Amen. Not all power. I'm not talking about that, but they want to be godly. They want to be like Him. Psalms 84 and 11. The Bible says, no good thing will He hold withhold from them that walk uprightly. He said, I'm not going to withhold something from you if you're walking uprightly and you want that. If you want a closer walk with God, walk uprightly. He'll give it to you. Amen. If you want more understanding of His Word, walk uprightly and He'll give you that. If you want blessings in this life, walk uprightly and He will give you that. Nothing will He hold back if we'll just walk up rightly before Him. What we desire in Him, He will give it. David said, Delight thyself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 4 and 4, the fourth verse. Listen to this. The Bible says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own hearts. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Think about that. Pause. David gives some keys that help us refrain from sin. Amen. How do you refrain from sin? You don't just refrain from sin by just squeezing up real tight. And that's not going to work. David gives us some keys. He said one of the things that will free us from sin is to not lose the awe of the presence of God. Amen. I'm going to tell you... when I walked through the side door just a moment ago and I began to feel the presence of the Lord, and you guys were all, the music was already going, the singing, the praise and worship was already going. When I stepped up on the platform, I felt the power and the presence of God. I don't ever want to get ho-hum about that. I don't want to ever get, well, it's just another, well, he's here anyway, no big deal. I want to never lose the awe and the wonder that God did show up one more time. He didn't have to do it. It could have been dry as last year's crop. Amen. But I walked in the door and I felt the power and the presence and the anointing of God. I don't want that to pass. I want to stand in awe of that. I want to stand in awe of the presence of the Lord. Amen. When you contrast the attitude of the prodigal son had when he returned versus the attitude he had when he left, there's quite a difference, a significant difference. Upon his return, he didn't even feel worthy to be called a son. When he was in the pig pen, he said, How much better have the servants got it than I have it? 
I wonder if there's an opening on the servants list. I wonder if there would be by chance somebody that died or quit. Or, or I wonder if just by chance there's just some small opening that I could weasel my way back in just part time if I have to. That's a big difference in attitude than the one he had when he said, I want everything that's mine and I want it now. Upon his return, I don't even feel worthy to be called a son. And I'm not saying that God is sitting on the throne and just wants us groveling. Not at all. Because he talks about coming with to his throne with boldness and with courage. But I'm going to tell you that we should never get arrogant. And we should never get high-minded and haughty. I'm thankful that God showed up on this glorious Wednesday night. I'm thankful that his power and his presence is in this house. And I want him to know that I appreciate him meeting me here. I want him to know that I appreciate him showing up to bless me as an individual. And to bless you as a church. And God help us and forgive us. If we just sit on our hands and pretend, Lord, if I can just get through this moment, if I can just get through this night, we are not trying to just mark off another night. I want to stand in awe of the presence of the Lord. Hear me. Hear me tonight. If this service lasts till midnight, it will end too soon. If this service lasts till three in the morning, it will end too soon. Because all too suddenly, when the lights of this building are turned out, hell in all of its fury, and all of its horror and all of its sadness is going to be holding us and dogging us step for step for step for step. And so I'm going to say tonight, I vote. I cast my vote. Preach on, preacher. I cast my vote. Sing on, singer. I cast my vote. Play on, musician. Why? Because I want to stand in awe of the presence of the Lord. God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I want to stand in awe, stand in awe, awe, to awe someone, to impress someone is a pretty difficult thing to do today and getting more difficult by the day. Because we are such an entertainment driven society. So I'm going to tell you something. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the talent to get into the entertainment business. Amen. Now if I just offended you, you'll need to just bow your head and pray through real quick. We're not in the entertainment business. If you think we can compete with Disney, we've lost our mind. We think we can compete with SeaWorld, we've lost our mind. You know why Disney doesn't look today exactly like it looked in what was it 1972 or 1973 when they opened? Because they realized really quickly if we're going to stay in the entertainment business and if we're going to keep entertaining, we've got to keep growing, changing, expanding. And so you're never going to go there unless you go there just back to back and see the same exact thing because they've got to always change it up. Because people are coming there to be entertained. So don't sing the same song. Don't dance the same dance. Amen. I think I'm way, way, way off my notes, but I think I'm right in the middle of God's will. Awe is a hard thing to find in the lives of people today. Because no matter how bold over we are with something, it soon gets old. Because we are taught to seek for more and 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 more. But I'm going to tell you, if we get here Sunday and there's not one person to step on this platform to utter one sound from a musical instrument, we shouldn't pick up our Bible and head for the door. As a matter of fact, if there's not even anybody here able to stand in the pulpit and preach the Word of God, that's no reason to go home. Because what we came for was the presence of the Lord. And I want to stand in awe of His presence. If you came to be awed by me tonight, I may let you down. If you came to be awed by the music or the singing or the praise of the worship, there's a chance you might be let down. If you come looking for that, you've put your faith in man. You've put your hand in the hand, or your confidence rather in the hand of man. But I want to stand in awe. So David said, stand in awe. Stand in awe. Amen. Stand in awe. When we, we live... In a very, very frivolous age, 
with very little respect for authority, somebody can get pulled over running 90 miles an hour and get out and slam the door and wonder, what in the world you stopped me for? Our police, our policemen and women are being shot dead in the streets for nothing. For absolutely nothing. I don't know if you just recently read this on the news or, or, or saw it anywhere. I watched it online last Tuesday. A man was executed in Georgia and you can have your opinion about that, but here's what, here's what his crime was. He was pulled over for driving 98 miles an hour and when the police officer pulled him over, he pulled out a high-powered rifle behind his truck and, and walked that man down and shot him dead in the street. We've lost our respect for authority. If you don't think, if you don't think there's a lack of respect for authority, just go sit in the courthouse. Amen. There's some old judges that would roll over in their grave if they saw things that were going on in courthouses today. I, I feel like I've got a shotgun up here. Now I'm in court. <laughs> Where are we going next, preacher? We live in a very frivolous age where there is no respect for authority. Amen. But if we could just comprehend that God is everywhere present. Psalms 139, if we could comprehend that God is always watching, listening, God, you can't escape God. He's seen all of our evil ways. He's heard every word, that, evil word that's ever come out of our mouth. He's heard and saw every evil thought that we ever crossed our mind whether it parted our lips or not. There's never been a night dark enough that the all-seeing eye of God couldn't see us. God knows our thoughts and imaginations. Amen. We can't ever forget that God is Almighty. And at His will, the strong of us, the strongest of us could be taken. No, no, no. I'm not trying to cultivate fear tonight. I'm trying to cultivate reality. That what we think is so strong or what we think is so powerful, I promise you that by the stroke of midnight, it could all mean nothing. 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 Amen. I promise you with the right phone call, the right notice, no matter what is pressing in your agenda, I promise you it would seem as nothing. Nothing. The second key is self-examination. He said commune. With your own heart upon your bed and be still. Amen. This is a season to think of who you are and where you are. I've often said it this way. Nobody lays down with you at night but you. Nobody's in your skin but you. Nobody's there but me. And nobody knows me like me. And so it's a season to think of who you are and what you are. What you really are. Not what the world perceives you to be. Not what even your wife or your children think you are, but who you really are. You know, some people live double lives, and they do that successfully. And so their wives, their children, they have another wife and other children, other part of the country, and nobody's nobody's the wiser until some big uh-oh. And so you can fool a lot of people a lot of time. But he said, in your bed, commune with your own heart. Talk to yourself. Examine yourself. It's time to reflect on what you're doing and where this is, where is this going to lead? What am I really, where is this all going to wind up? In that quiet moment, look deep within. David implies that we should use our bed for more than just sleeping. Amen. It's also a place for seeking. Lord, just calm over the pages of my heart and reveal to me, God, what you want to speak. It was at, it was at night. And in his bed, the Bible says in his place, it was at night and in his place, and so the most logical thing for that, for young Samuel would have been in the bed. But while Samuel was young, in, in the night, in his place, the word of the Lord, the literal voice of God spoken to him, Samuel, Samuel. Amen. And so I'm telling you that if God can speak to Samuel in the middle of the night and in his bed, he can speak to you and I in the night, in our bed. And so David said, commune. He said, in your bed, when you're alone, when nobody else is there, when you're all by yourself and you're just nothing but you and your thoughts, think about what kind of man or woman you really are. Another piece of advice that we get from David is found in verse number 5. And there's only 49 verses, so we're in good shape. He said, offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Or in other words, he said, come to God. Come to me. Offer sacrifices of righteousness. Don't come to God in your own way, but we have to come to God in God's way. 
Now this is where it gets a little tricky. See, anybody can just come to God and say, oh, I can handle that. But you don't just come to God on your terms. you got to come to God on His terms. Amen. We can't do it our way. we got to do it His way. we got to come like Israel came to the tabernacle in the wilderness. They came bringing in sacrifices with them. That's why David said we ought to enter in with praise. Enter in with thanksgiving. We ought to come to God. Amen. In the right spirit and the right attitude. Not come to God, vote or come to church, come into the temple and then fold our arms and wait for somebody there to delight us. Amen. But we need to come in with sacrifices. Come in with praise. I don't feel like praising. Well, good. It'll be a greater sacrifice. Sacrifice. Give it to Him. I'm not able to do this. We'll, we'll press on anyway. It'll be a sacrifice. And we'll give that to Him. We need to come broken and with contrite hearts unto the Lord. We have to confess our shortcomings. Confess our transgressions. we got to confess our pride. Confess our unbelief. Is there anybody in the house that has pride? Anybody that struggles with unbelief from time to time? Anybody else that has transgressions or anybody else that has shortcomings? We need to come into the house of the Lord. And we all look prim and proper but in our heart we need to say God you know the areas of my life this week I stumbled and I fell you know the areas of my life God that I staggered you know where I was slipping you know right there I want to confess that to you the Bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins but if I just come here pretending all is well then I am going to be rebuked by the hand of God it's not all well God I need my mind to be washed I need my heart to be washed I need my motives to be checked. Why? Because I want to come to you with praise and adoration. I want to bring something with me when I come. I've got to confess that to the Lord. What, 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 whatever you've done wrong, confess it before the Lord. Like the prodigal son. The prodigal son said, I'm going to arise and I'm going to my father's house. He had nothing but business on his mind either. He wasn't going there for a hot meal. Amen. He said, I gotta go, I gotta make this right. I've got to make this right. If the prodigal, he said, I'm gonna go and see, I'm gonna go to my father. And that was good thinking. Because if he said, I think I'll go talk to my brother and get his take on the matter. (laughs) He he might have never got in the door. His father may have never known about the visit. He tried to slip in the middle of the night, tap on his brother's window, kind of talk things out with him. I'm going to tell you that we need to go to God with our things. We need to go to God with our problems and our peril. Amen. I know that we confess our faults. I know that we need people in our lives that we can speak to. But I want to tell you, if you're more prone to talk to others about your problems than you are to talk to God about your problems, we need to take an assessment of that. Because sometimes what we don't need is a telephone. Sometimes we don't need a visit with someone. What Sometimes what we need is just an altar to say, God, i got to talk this out. And I'm not talking about an altar with our very, very best stained glass voice of glory to God and Thou, loving Father. But I'm talking about a son broken in the presence of his father that says, i got to make this right. i got to make this right. Amen. Another key is most likely one of the greatest of them all. And that's found in verse number 5. He said, put your trust in the Lord. Here's what Esther said. I am going to see the king without an invitation. And if I perish, I perish. It's in your Bible. And if you understand the context of that scripture, this was no frivolous statement. She said, I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, I perish. I'm just going to have to put my trust in God. Now there's a lot of failure in all of us. However, I'm also thankful that God can see beyond all that and find the good. I realize that no one here is truly where they desire to be in God. I appreciate what Brother Herndon talked about that Sunday morning. I still desire to fear the Lord and to trust Him and to love Him. I'm not where I was. Amen. But I'm not where I want to be. I want to keep pushing and pressing on that. I appreciate the point that he made. Don't let that just be a a place of mediocrity there. The Lord can see all the things and he knows about the good that's in everyone here. Just one look at a few Bible characters. I'm not going to give a long list here, but I just want to prove my point. In Simon Peter, he saw the rock. And in Gideon, with his knees knocking together, he saw a man of valor. And in Moses, a man that sometimes kind of got out of hand, he saw meekness. And in Abraham, he found a friend. And in David, a man whose life was just wrought with failure, he saw 
a man after his own heart. Now listen to this. When Simon Peter stood on the day of Pentecost preaching, I read this this I read this last week, and this just encouraged me to no end. But when Simon Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and preached to three thousand people about the plan of salvation, he was only a ten minute walk from where just days before he had denied the Lord. I'm glad God can look beyond the junk and see the rock. And see the rock. I'm hoping to show through Scripture that God does make a difference between the godly and the rest of mankind. I want to be a godly man. Not that others can sing and tout your praises. But I want to be a godly man because God separates the godly from the ungodly. Amen. There is one particular point of difference. He sets them apart for Himself. There is a purpose for that, and and that is so that they may be friends and He could converse with. I want to do that. I I want to be somebody that... The Lord knows my voice. I mean, I've got friends that I don't, when they answer the phone, I don't have to say, hey, this is Steve Boyd from Brantford, Florida. I've got friends that when the phone rings, I'm talking about before the days of caller ID. I've got friends when the phone rings that when I answer the phone, they say, hey, man, what's going on? I feel no desire, no need whatsoever to introduce myself, nor them to introduce themselves. I want God to recognize my voice. Amen. If our musicians would come. In addition to speaking to the godly, God also, God also sets them apart that He can use them. Here's what Malachi 3.17 says. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. <laughs> in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. They shall be mine, saith the Lord. He separate, he separated apart the godly for himself. Verse 5 says to offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. In other words, continue the way of duty and go to the sanctuary even when you had to fumble for the door in the darkness of your own storm. Let me, let me just give you some advice here on this Wednesday evening. Don't let the storm of your life Create such chaos that you can't find the church door. Because that's where you're going to find your hope. That's where you're going to find your hope. The moment you feel like staying home the most, that's the night that you need to say, you know what? This is the devil. And I'm going to the house of God. Get out of my way. I may be, I may be late. I'm if you got here for the last five minutes, you got here. Amen. You got here. I want to. I want. I want to put my trust in the Lord. If I have to fumble for the door in the darkness, seek the altar, like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Verse number six. There be many that say, "Who will show us any good?" Lord, lift up thy light to the countenance upon us. This is the mission of the human heart. I think is is the search for happiness, and sometimes. Sometimes we absolutely have no answer left but prayer. But hear me, don't let that seem like the bottom of the barrel. That's the top of the barrel. Facts are against us. Logic gives us no help. And humanity offers no answers whatsoever. So we turn to God. We say, God, I need you to touch me. But here's the key. In the midst of all of our difficulty, we're still found praying And we're still called worshipers. We're still found praising Him. (laughs) And when you do that, when we do that, when we press on through the fire, we confound and we humble the unbeliever. Because they're watching. They're watching. The seventh verse says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that in their corn and their wine increase. The idea here is that in loss, there may be actually more spiritual delight. I know that kind of sounds absurd. But he is saying that in loss, there may be sometimes more spiritual delight than in times of prosperity. 
You know what? Some of our highest heights in God have been some of our lowest points in life. It's the truth. So true. So true. Nobody wants to go there to get it. That's the store. Nobody wants to visit to purchase it. But sometimes our lowest lows is where God just hangs our coat on a star. <laughs> Let's stand. Let's stand, shall we? Amen. The good man, the godly man, the man whose trust is in the living God has more gladness in his poverty than the worldly man has in his things. I'm going to tell you, I've met people that had such a relationship with God and maybe they lacked a lot of worldly goods. But they had contentment and peace. They had something that others that maybe had way more things in life, but they were missing that contentment, that happiness. Luke twelve fifteen says, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Verse number 8, here's what David ends with, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I'm just going to lay down in peace and I'm going to sleep. Charles Spurgeon, an old, old antiquated writer, says this in his writings, the treasury of David. This is what we read, and I close. I shall not sit up to watch through fear, but I will lay down. And then I will not lie awake, listening to every rustling sound, but I will lie down in peace and sleep, for I have naught to fear. Better than bolts or bars is the protection of the Lord. A quiet conscience is a good bedfellow. How many of our sleepless hours might be traced to our untrusting and disordered minds. They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep. No pillow so soft as a promise. No coverlet so warm as an assured interest in Christ. We set apart things that are precious. The godly are set apart in particular as God's treasure. Godly. Compared to fine gold and lamentations and the glory of creation. Amen. I'm so thankful to know Him. Can we close our service as we often do with family prayer? As we come tonight, can we just pray? There's a lot of needs here. Amen. There's a lot of sickness in our church. and Can we just ask God to touch them and help us tonight? Lord, that we would never lose the wonder and the power of Your presence. But help us to stand. Help us to stand in all, Lord, of your will. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.